You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the Southbank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall, with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. Hello and welcome to the Brown Sign Project, the podcast that gives you exclusive access to inspirational people that makes the tourist attractions what it is today. I'm Carlton Gadgetar. And I'm Carly Strawn. In the final episode of this series, we're excited to bring you a conversation with the Director of Visitor Engagement at St Paul's Cathedral, Sandra Lyons Timbrell. Sandra has always had a desire to share her love for cultural and heritage sites and in our chat we discover how important operations are in bringing attractions to life. In this series we've been having one eye on the future and we've been finding out how our guests feel about technology integration in the tourism and attractions sector. Sandra's going to share with us how she recently spent time with some people who've opened her eyes to new possibilities new types of digital engagement and how it works alongside more traditional in-person experiences. And of course, we hear some top tips on how to get into and get on in our industry. A massive thank you needs to go out to our season sponsors, Staff Savvy and Retail Integration. And now, let's go and have a chat with Sandra. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, no matter where you are. Welcome to the Brown Sign Project. Um, we have another fantastic guest on. But before we do our guest, hello, Carly. How are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're all boiling because it's the, you know, getting into the summer now. We're not as warm as uh, Dubai, Carlton, but we're getting there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I heard it's very hot in the UK. Um, but yeah, Dubai is hot as well. So yeah. Uh, Less about us. Let's talk about the guests. Uh, that's all. Um, we've got the lovely Sandra on. Hello, Sandra. Welcome to the show. Hello, both. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Oh, yeah. We are so excited to have a chat with you um, about your career and what you've done and kind of how everything's all tied up to where you are today. But before we do that, can you give us a quick introduction of, about you, what you do and that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, currently sitting at my kitchen table with the garden doors wide open because it's 24 degrees here in London, which is like really hot for us. I know Carlton to you, that's absolutely nothing in Dubai, but there we go. Um, But yeah, my career, so I'm currently Director of Visitor Engagement at St Paul's Cathedral. So I've been there for uh, just over three years now. I started um, during lockdown, which is a whole other podcast. Um, um, But previous to St Paul's, I was at English Heritage, Museum of London and uh, Shakespeare's Globe. Um, But at St Paul's, I've got all of the commercial operations. So sales, ticketing, marketing, uh, visitor experience, security, uh, collections. So it's quite a wide remit. There are seven departments under my portfolio. Um, but it's all the teams that broadly that interact with the public on a day to day basis, be that front facing, um, selling tickets or showing people around um, or just trying to persuade people to come and visit us. That's amazing. I You said something quite interesting. The one that I really picked up on 
is you said about like security and I think we sometimes forget that they're a visitor service (laughs) I think sometimes maybe security teams forget they're also a visitor service but I hope not (laughs) it's it's really interesting because wherever I've ever worked security has been one of those kind of hot potatoes that gets passed around either between like some like facilities or works as we call it at, at St Paul's um or it will go to visitor experience it will kind of sit somewhere else and no one quite knows what to do with it in a way I've never really been anywhere where it's been a, a standalone directorate um but I really love having security under my portfolio because I think that exactly what you said Carly it is a visitor facing it's one of the most important visitor facing roles that we have at St Paul's and I would argue probably at most places across uh, across the attractions industry they are usually the first people that you meet they're the people that are being asked to keep everybody safe they're the people that we are relying on to present that first face of whichever organization you're coming towards And, and also making sure that the the staff and the volunteers and the visitors all feel safe so it's such an intrinsic role we work so uh, closely with um, certainly at St Paul's with the City of London Police, um, a little bit with the Met Police, but with counterterrorism, um, and with our uh, contract providers, just to make sure that the security team really do feel that they are part of the St Paul's family, but also that people who are coming to St Paul's in whatever format feel that they are being looked after in the right way. That's brilliant. Really, really interesting. Um, it's in, it, always interesting to me to see the different makeups of what teams sit where I think it's really vastly different really interesting yeah and it's sometimes being on the senior leadership team when we sit there and we have our executive meetings and we talk about you know we're going through a workforce plan at the moment where we're thinking about where where certain um uh, departments should be sitting and and actually it's the security is the one department I always fight I fight for all my departments I should say that security is the one department I say I think it's absolutely key that it stays under visitor experience because I think if you tuck it away elsewhere it ends up being something that um it has to be that front facing yeah amazing um so you named a few places that obviously you've worked in your in your career so far what got you started into attractions like what did you always intend to work in attractions or how what got you what got you involved oh well the age-old story I wanted to be a curator when I grew up (laughs) because you see on all the films and I've always been really interested in history I'm a complete history geek um and when I was growing up I thought what can I do that that is around history the stuff that I enjoy and I had an uncle that worked at the Natural History Museum he was a uh, I suppose we call it a visitor experience assistant now but at the time I think it was called a warden or something like that um and he was showing people around and I used to go there and see him and think what an amazing job you get to talk to people all day about some really cool stuff and he would come home full of like you know the these uh, exciting stories of, of of people he'd spoken to so so it always felt like something I'd be interested in but I thought curating curation would be the 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 route I went down um so went off did a did a bachelor's degree and looked to do an MSc in paleopathology and osteology because I wanted to look after dead people wow yeah very specific degree (laughs) well except I didn't get to do it and that's that's where it all kind of goes off it was one of those moments where um, I really wanted to, to 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 look after to dead people. Basically, I wanted to study bones, study ancient diseases, find out kind of like the, the sociology around 
um, around the people who had been before us, had lived before us. And as I was looking to look for these master's courses, the fact I didn't have a BSc, the fact I didn't have an A-level in, in a science was really going against me. And the um, everything kept coming back is that you'd either ha- I'd ha- either have to go back and like you know do an A level in biology or something or, or uh, do a do an access course and I just I don't have the time or the money to do that. So it took some time out. I was doing um, graduate training at John Lewis, which I knew wasn't for me, but it was one of those things I thought you know you need to do to keep the money coming in. Um, and I took some time out to go volunteering at the Verulanium Museum. And I was still thinking, okay, I'll do, I'll, I'll be a curator, but I'll do, I'll be a different kind of curator. And they were going through um, a refurbishment, so I went in to support the curatorial team um, uh, packing up and deaccessioning some of their objects. But whilst I was there, um, I was asked to go into various other places. So I was asked to, you know, support the schools and family learning team while school groups were coming in. I was asked to support, you know, get on the phones and and take group bookings. I was asked to go on the front desk. And at the end of my placement, I sat down with the director and I said, I've really enjoyed the variety. And he went, you should be in operations. And it was the first time that anyone had ever said to me that there was this thing called operations that I could be part of. And it really kind of set me thinking about what my career path could be and where I could go, because I love the idea of being a part of very, very different things. Um, It opened my eyes and I started looking around for different kinds of uh, masters. So I, I went in the end, I did a master's degree um, in heritage management at Sheffield. And that was an amazing course. And it led me to my first role at English Heritage. But it was, yeah, it, it wasn't something that, you know, I thought by this point, I must be doing this role at this place. That's incredible. I love the idea that, and, and I think we've all probably, uh, uh, those of us who are a little bit later in our careers, who will be told, you know there's this thing that you've never heard of yeah. yeah and actually you'd be really good at it and you're yeah. like wow you know how have I how have I got to this age or this part of my job and never you know didn't know that there was a word for that or didn't know that that was a thing that that people do really that, that actually happened to me when I was doing my yeah. master's um I didn't I didn't understand the word of um, customer experience and I was like we'll just do customer service you know yeah. in attraction but there's this whole thing about customer experience I'm like why did I not know of this at all and then it was a, it was at the end of my dissertation that I found it I was like I have a freaking laugh and I was <laughs> like I'm going to have to rewrite my whole dissertation because um, because it, it looks like I plagiarized everything, but I didn't. I didn't every morning. I'm sure you did. So. I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And now I do have one question to ask you before we, we talk. The, the next proper question, and that is: Have you ever watched the TV series Bones? Bones. Bones. Oh, Bones! There's a helicopter flying over. Sorry. <laughs> I will say I am. I am. I do have a very northern accent. For those of you who don't know, and any any word that has the O noise in it is very difficult to understand what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> it was the helicopter, helicopter or not? <laughs> <laughs> we are on the slight path between Battersea uh, and wherever they go to in the south. So I like to think I'm Shiv from Succession, and there's my private helicopter coming to get me. The reality is <laughs> that's not true. Um, I, I've seen a couple of episodes of it, but not all of it. But uh, when I worked at the Museum of London, I did do a course, uh, an osteology course with Elena, who's the um, uh, the the osteology curator there. Um, just because I really wanted to, because that that little part of me still hasn't gone away. So oh, <laughs> and I go so to some really cool. strange pathology lectures sometimes as well. So 
No, that's awesome. That is so, so good. Uh, that actually kind of leads me to my next question. Um, Reed, kind of talking about your school. So yeah, what you studied, how has that kind of affected or prepared you for your career today? I don't think it has in a way, to be to be honest with you. And it goes back to what you were saying just now, Carly, is that I don't think anyone, certainly from where I was at school, anyone ever really sits down and says, what are you interested in? Oh, this would be a good career for you. So when I was, I did um, normal GCSEs, I think most people do. And then A-levels with 16th century European history, English literature and sociology. And I did the first two because I was really interested in them. And the, and the third one, because I had to pick a third. And I thought that that sounds interesting. Let's do that. Um, and when I was looking for work experience, um, I ended up in the Nationwide Anglia Building Society behind John Lewis in Oxford Street. Because when I said I like history, no one knew what to do with me. So I ended up very, very sadly <laughs> processing mortgage applications. Wow. It was the worst. Oh, gosh, it was horrible. But um, it, it so it, I, I don't know is the short answer to that question. What I do know is that when I want, when I went on to do um, my, my degree, I chose a degree based on what I liked, but also where I thought it'd be a little bit glamorous. So I did ancient history and archaeology in Manchester. Um, a, it was the early 90s, showing my age. So, you know, it was Manchester in the early 90s. What a place to be. But also, I think I thought I was going to end up um, a bit like Indiana Jones or something and doing some really cool, you know, archaeology. Somewhere I, I did wonder how long it would take us to say Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really yeah. glad you did it first. <laughs> the reality was I ended up watching Time Team and uh, being in a wet trench outside oh. Manchester and realising that, the, again, the glamour, it wasn't quite there. <laughs> wasn't what I expected but I really enjoyed that course it's an amazing course taught me a lot um and that's but, but I still wanted to do that kind of uh look at you know as I say the, the kind of paleontology the human side of things which I think actually plays quite well to where I am now and the job that I do because it is it's just not dead humans it's live humans <laughs> happily um but I when I ended up doing the master's degree after that, you know, little period of reflection, I did heritage management and that was really practical. And it was all about conservation philosophy and marketing impact and understanding the footfall of, you know, footfall versus customer experience, the types of conversations we're still having at the moment. Um, you know, do you sweat the asset or do you actually prioritise the visitor experience? So I don't think I'd ever thought long term when I was studying. And I know for a fact that no one had ever sat me down and said, this is what you're good at. This could be the type of career path that you go down. But it all feels like in a bit of a hippie way, the universe guided me or it's all lots of happy little accidents that set me on the path that I'm on now. And that that's a common theme that comes out in the conversations that we have is that a lot of what seems like when you know when you're when you're younger and you're looking at other people's careers is there seems to be so much strategy and actually I think for those of us who've been through that and are now looking back is going actually a lot of it is happy accident a lot of it is meeting somebody at a point in your life um or doing a specific job at a point in your life or somebody else leaves and you get to do that job and it's so much just taking the opportunity that is put in front of you I think at that point yeah, exactly that. Taking the opportunities, meeting people, as you say, you know, having having the courage as well um, at certain points to think that feels like a really big thing to do. But actually, I'm sure I can do that because I've done that, that and that in the past. And also, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit later on in the in the in the podcast, but 
but having those people around you that encourage you and support you in those right ways. And I think the most interesting people don't know what they want to do. The most interesting people don't have a set plan. And I'm not that kind of person to sit there and think in five years time I have to be. I hate those type of interview questions because I just don't know. Yeah, it's like the the age old what you know. Why do you want to work here? And it's like, well, you know, if my my option was sitting on a yacht in uh, in the Bahamas for the rest of my clearly, life, I'd probably be doing that. You going know. back to my ship and succession ambitions. Clearly, <laughs> option one: super yacht, <laughs> private jet, helicopter. Option two: St Paul's Cathedral is a really good close second. <laughs> Yeah, is that sometimes you know the 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 uh, not sitting on your super yacht and on your private jet, you know, you can just do some other things, and that's all right. <laughs> I get to do cool things too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's that's cool. Um, I'm going to ask you like an interview type question. Is that oh. a bit deep? I know. I'm so sorry, but I um. think it's going to be quite an interesting one to answer. And the question is, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Oh. I know, I know. No, I think it's a really good question. And I think the answer is because I am a history geek, because I love it, because I am absolutely, every single day that I go in, and I do, obviously, I have I have moments where I think, you know, I'll sit in oh, two-hour uh, strategic risk workshops and think, oh, my goodness, this is, this is not what I thought being in heritage was about. Um, but actually, when you strip it back, I am so fortunate to have worked in some of the places that I've worked, to have been in some of the situations I've been in. And, and my why, my motivation is that I am part of the history of something. I am part of the custodianship of some really important buildings, some really important sites, some really important things that I have been lucky enough to ensure their continuity and sustainability and stability for for this period in time and to hand it over to somebody else. And I think that I I get really worried that people see things like history as really boring or people see, see what we do in attractions as not being relevant or, or um, you know, a little bit frivolous or a little bit fluffy. And actually, I think it's absolutely core part of who we are as people. Education is a right. It's not a privilege. History is part of our shared stories. Only by creating spaces to have conversations, to share stories, to make memories, do we open up who we are as people, talking to each other about firing children's imaginations, about understanding stories about how there is more that um, joins us than divides us. So I think my why is is being able to be in these amazing places and enabling or trying to enable other people to enjoy those places as much as I do. That's amazing. I think it's interesting because we've asked that question obviously to a, a fair number of people. And I think when we put that question out to people, there's an assumption that everyone is motivated in the same way or by the same thing because you know what motivates you and it you know you don't always it's not easy to put yourself in someone else's shoes sometimes everybody's answered that so differently really yeah and it's honestly really fascinating and I think I you know when when you've especially when you've worked with big teams and you know both of you would would recognize this when you've had lots of people that work for you and you try and motivate people is how differently motivated yeah. people are. You know, some people want money, some people want praise, some people want days off, some people want, you know, everyone is so motivated in such different ways. And I think it's it's interesting because we think of motivation, you know, in 
quite simple terms sometimes, but for some people it is, you know, a, a big part of who they are is yeah, and I think you know, obviously, on a day to day, but you know, obviously, the money—it's it, nice to earn money to do, to do a job that you do. It, it's it on a day to day; it does help, yeah, to be able to have a, a roof over your head and all those sorts of things. And and on a day to day basis, you are—you know—this is really big macro stuff. On a day to day basis, there's some micro things that kind of motivate you to get through the day, like having a glass of wine at the end or something like that. But but on the whole. And I think, you know, as you were saying, Carly, I think there there is a, um, some, when I've got such massive, massive teams, seven departments, um, I've got over 80, 90 people within, within my teams, you can never understand what every single person's motivation is for being there. And it's really difficult sometimes, I was sitting in a training session the other day with a group of people understanding that they're, they're they're there for very different reasons they're working at St Paul's for different reasons they they hear what I'm saying in different ways because of their motivations but if we can all try and get down to that um that nub of understanding that I think at the crux of pretty much all of what we do is making sure that we are all happy that everyone is coming into the cathedral is happy in whatever guise that takes, whether that be having a good experience or making sure the ticketing is working properly or having, you know, a really good marketing campaign, all of those things that makes for a, a happy life. And that makes for a happy environment that you're working in. Introducing Meridian Experience from Retail Integration, the leading multi-channel ticketing, retail and membership system for visitor attractions. Working with visitor attractions for over 25 years, Retail Integration have developed the ultimate solution that enables some of Ireland's leading visitor attractions manage every aspect of their business, from ticketing and admissions to merchandising, food and loyalty programs in one single system. Customer experience is at the heart of what we do. Contact us today and let retail integration help you to exceed visitor expectations. We listen, we develop, we deliver. What would you say, like challenge-wise, have you found working in the industry? And do you think, based on kind of where you are now, that we could be doing things better to like lessen those challenges that people kind of face getting into the industry or staying in the industry and what might have happened? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, we've, we've kind of touched on is understanding career paths and understanding some that operations is is a valid career path and what that might mean. And that some people are really motivated by data and ticketing and other people aren't. And that's fine, too. But it's other people are motivated by um, making sure there's good customer experience and how we can ensure that people get that there are these operational paths or strategic paths or paths around governance, which support these amazing buildings these amazing places these attractions these sites we're all working in um that isn't just about being a curator that isn't just about being a um working in schools and family learning or something you know there are there are very valid career paths which are also very exciting for people and and i think you know that the work that you guys are doing you know the lecturing that you're doing is 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 showing younger generations coming up that there are various ways of getting into the attractions industry that isn't just about making sure you've done a degree in a certain in a certain subject you can do lots of the things and get through but I think we've got a long way to go and I I, one of the things I always say at work is that from an operations perspective I still don't think it's seen as a valid um 
a valid subject, a lot of people think they can do operations and they will think for you in a meeting. I can see you smiling. Like you've, you've been in that situation where they will think yeah. for you in a meeting and they'll talk it through and you'll sit there as the ops manager going, but you haven't thought about this or you haven't thought about that or the cog that turns here that affects the bigger cog that turns over there. Well, just uh, the one that always fascinates me is it is the people who assume that human beings will do what you expect oh them yeah any yeah. given day yeah. <laughs> put the sign there and they'll go that way no they won't <laughs> yeah no know. they will they will <laughs> no they won't they will no, never they read no, no one ever reads the signage no people will come up and move the barriers they will walk past a member of staff, even if that member of staff is staring them right in the face. Yeah. Just, I mean, and and there are, I think, you know, we all, we all met, I think, through the visitor experience forum. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always think of that, that's like a self-help group for operational yeah. people, right? Is that we're, we're, all, we're all being in those positions of going, oh, I did this thing today and people just, just really didn't behave in the way I was having a conversation the other day about something and one of my colleagues said oh the visitors will just get it and I was like no they won't (laughs) you will need a 48 foot flashing pink neon sign and even then they might miss it (laughs) yeah and then they'll think it's an art installation exactly yeah that'll be a whole Um, so yeah so I, I do I, and I, I have challenged this you know it, to be serious I have challenged it in meetings and said you can I would not presume to walk up to the head of finance and tell him how to um, get an invoice out I would not presume to walk up to schools and family learning and say have you thought about doing it this way so it's really quite annoying when people come up to my team and say have you thought about this or why aren't you doing it like in, in, in this way so I do try to challenge that. And I always try to push back and say that operations is a formal route into attractions. And operations is a valid subject. It is a strategy and it is something that we are good at. We're not just good at putting some signs out and making sure that the tensor barriers are, you know, in the Mm. right place at the right time. I wonder as well sometimes whether that's an indication of how much we value what are seen as, and I, hate myself for saying it out loud but softer skills yeah skills of understanding skills of taking care of skills of hospitality yeah. actually get tend to get undervalued um just because people do think you know well well everyone can open a door and everybody can serve mm. somebody and ev- but not in the same way and I, I do think that operation suffers from that sometimes in that people really underestimate actually what a skill being hospitable and friendly and nice and giving an experience is as a whole absolutely and also I I think you're absolutely right you hit the nail on the head and I also say that operations isn't just about unlocking the door at the beginning of the day saying hello to 5,000 people then locking the door at the end of the day there is so much else that goes on that you know like the little duck legs that are going the swans swimming along the duck legs are going and I think that actually maybe it's just really complimentary that the team in all of their guises are doing such brilliant things that we don't actually realize the detail that goes into getting everything moving to get a place open for the day 
you know, one person goes sick and that's it. The whole roster has to be redone and it has to be redone in five minutes before we can open or something, you know, that something doesn't arrive for the shop and we have to change the whole display and we have to change it in five minutes before we open because everything has to look nice in order for the visitor to want to spend, you know, the, the, the water stops working in the cafe. And that's really important too, but no one else ever sees that. They just see the churn happening. Yeah, yeah, like I say, maybe, maybe it is a, a case of the better you are at it, the easier it seems. And Yeah, we do it so well. We have to be really rubbish. And everyone... <laughs> yeah, well, the day that you don't turn up will be really, really an experience for everyone else. Yeah, but, but I think that, that also is that, you know, when things go wrong, everyone notices in operations because we're front and centre. If someone forgets to send an invoice out, maybe two or three people might know about it. If someone forgets to, I don't know, do something else back of house, it, one or two people know about it if we forget to open the front doors if, if the ticketing system isn't working if the marketing hasn't been done if the security team turned everyone knows about it and everybody has got opinion on it and, and why that's happened so <laughs> but I think the the other big thing the other challenge and I was talking about this I'm also um just about to become chair of uh, Charles Dickens Museum um so I'm on the board of trustees there and uh, we were talking about some of the challenges they're having. And it's Cindy, who's the director there, was thinking it was something that was exclusive to her because it's a small museum. And it's absolutely not. It's about resource and it's about people. And it's about just not having enough money and enough things to do all of the stuff that we want to do and to do that well. And again, going back to what we were saying earlier, there sometimes just isn't enough emphasis put on the kind of the operational side the behind the scenes side it's all about ROI that return on investment if I give money for this position what how is that what's that going to get me back income wise and and so I see when I sit on the when I go into board meetings when I go into uh, exec meetings my role is absolutely to advocate for those that day-to-day stuff to make sure we're getting the money coming in, to do the really boring behind the scenes things that nobody sees happening or making sure we've got the wrong FTE count um, to support the team. Because otherwise it's really exhausting being front facing. It's really exhausting being the only person doing marketing for, for an organization or having reduced resources. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we, we've seen in the past few years, a number of attractions that have been very much led by technology or led by they're not and and with very very small front of house teams yeah and almost you know the absolute bare minimum you can legally have to open a building um and actually it's really hard to sort of say what return on investment those extra people give you but Mm -hmm. I think all of us would recognize if we go into an attraction that is understaffed or has very few staff actually you will feel it even if you don't necessarily you can't kind of put your finger on what it is that you're yeah. feeling absolutely yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. I've, I've been to attractions where it's obvious you need more staff yeah. and it just feels i don't know if it feels empty it just feels yeah. like there's a strip back and it's it's, a, it's such a big shame but you know you're absolutely right and what you're saying you know people resources we have in operations we have a massive drive in mm. ourselves we love what we do and we want to do it amazing but we know that money is limiting us to do mm. that but but we're quite creative individuals and mm. we will find a way of doing what we need to do um for both our staff but also our visitors coming through through yeah. the door and that's that's 
potentially part of the the challenge isn't it that because we're so creative because we have to be that we spend all of our time creating ways of getting around these little reasons well, we can't have a person over there so we'll have to do it in this way or we'll you know we'll we'll do a guided tour instead we spend so much time doing that, that actually we're not we're not pushing back enough and saying we just need that extra person we need that extra role we need whatever it is and I suppose that's what I definitely see in it. Leadership is is about making sure that that I am showing the team how much I value them, but I am also pushing back as much as I can with my peers and saying that we need to get the resources in because what I don't ever want people to to come to a, a, a place like St Paul's and think I didn't have a nice time, I didn't make a good memory because there wasn't enough people there to support me or you know the person at the front was was clearly um really tired and, and really stretched and I was queuing for a long time so I just want to challenge the assumptions that you don't need to have all of the people doing all of the things um I want to ch- I want to make sure that people feel that um that across the board there is a return on investment that sometimes isn't always tangible yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, thank you so much for that. That's a fantastic conversation regarding that question. Um, we're going to change it up a little bit. Um, mm. And this is my crystal ball question. Oh, I, ask. I know, I know. Um, and it's, I just want to find out about your job specifically. How do you think that's going to change in the next five to 10 years? And how do you think and um, technology is going to enhance that experience or is it going to enhance the experience with your particular role i was talking about this the other day actually i was out to lunch with um with a couple of um uh, colleagues from different um organizations we were talking about things like ai and what that might mean for us and i'm personally terrified because you know terminator judgment day it's all gonna end really badly well you're Um, you're you're still thinking indiana jones every you know we can't get this is it, but the the link between Indiana Jones and Terminator is huge, you know. Yes, <laughs> a very big time scale. <laughs> no, a very, a very big time scale. But I'm still terrified by uh, by AI. Um, but I I think you know the, the way that we all pivoted during the pandemic, that kind of that move from uh, over to digital engagement, how everything suddenly went online, and and I I don't really see any of that being stripped back. To be honest with you, I think we're still looking at um at our digital offer, and we're still looking at how we can engage people. Um, in different ways so they're not crossing the literal threshold and I think there's a whole conversation there around what value there is in that Um, and if they're not coming to us are we still engaging them in the right way is is that still enough Um, and I think that will that will be the crux of some of the conversations we'll start to have in the next couple of years Um, but one of the things I always you know Bernard from Alvey always says that people want to stand on the spot where it happened where history happened I don't think we'll ever move away from that so I don't see my role the role of some of my team members becoming too stripped back because I think there will always be that desire for that more visceral engagement that memory making that magic moment Um, but where I can see it moving ahead is is as I say things like digital engagement and whatever digital may look like in five years I can't even imagine because it's just so different to what it looked like 10 years ago Um, so maybe it's boring stuff like you know databases and and strategy and all those types of things that will take away a lot of the bigger macro conversations that I'm having 
But I also think it will be things like access and how people can access various areas they can't get to. So, for example, at St Paul's, if you can't get up to the galleries, there's no other way of seeing what the view is. And potentially there is a there's a whole AI digital piece there that we could um, that we could put a project we could put into place. And maybe in five, 10 years time, I won't be looking at a £300,000 project. I'll be looking at something that much cheaper and much easier to put into place. Um, But I think, and I might be wrong in saying this, so come back in five years, come back in 10 years and tell me I've got it wrong. But I think we'll always need humanity and we'll always need the types of skills that we need in the types of buildings and attractions that we're in, you know, looking after the fabric of the building, understanding the nuances of a historic building or a historic site and understanding the nuances of people. I don't think people will stand being met by a robot scanning stuff in the whole time really don't like it. I was on I went to the airport the other week I just flew off to Dublin for the weekend and I didn't really engage with anyone I just zapped my e-ticket in and then zapped out oh, the other. I didn't which like is it. hilarious because that's a dream airport for me <laughs> really no see yeah. but I'm old so I want to stamp in my passport because I want the romance of saying like you know I was here I was there so that breaks my heart is I've got all these empty pages and that's not right they should be stamped but also I actually quite like that idea of just saying hello to somebody being part of something being part of that humanity which is uh yeah it's just me I think I'm just a people person I like being around people oh and we I was having this discussion you know out, outside of the attractions but still within leisure we were talking about one of my friends went to see Taylor Swift um recently um and I will say that's possibly the first time Taylor Swift has ever been mentioned on this podcast. And I intend that to be the last time we ever talk about Taylor Swift. She's a good pop act. She's oh. got good pop. I'll I'll let you have that one. I'll let you have that one. But my point my point <laughs> about they you know they've they've had this huge you know they they're in the process of this huge tour. It's clear that you know you could sell it a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. People would still go. Um, but my friend was saying you know I was I was so there and I was so in the moment and it was three and a half hours long that actually there's some parts of it I don't remember. There's some you know some individual songs that I just. I just can't, they're not in my brain because yeah. it's so overwhelming. And I said, you know, I do think there is a space for, if you've been to a gig, I don't need a fancy visual version of it, but I'd really like it if someone just recorded it and I could watch it back maybe a year later. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that song. Yeah. And I think you're right. Cause I, and I said, you know, I think a lot of the conversation we have is about if people get the digital version they won't go to the physical version. Mm. And I think, you know, Bernard is correct. No, people want to stand on yeah. the spot. People want to be in a room with 75,000 other people. People, But there will always be a want for doing something that's, you know, people might not be able to get into a specific area of St Paul's. They yeah. can't see a specific view. There might be areas of St Paul's that, you know, it's physically not safe to put people in but you'd like them to see it and to to, mm. to be able to access it. And I do think you're right that you'll never replace the physical, but wouldn't it be great if we could enhance that? Instantly? Yeah. The, the conclusion we came to is it would be something like Abba Voyage and it would be like a, you know, you could be at it standing in St. Paul's, but actually be in, you know, the old St. Paul's or something or be there during the fire or something like that. Yeah. Now, um, Abba, now, Abba, now we're talking. Right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously we're talking. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I I would like to see 
Terminator Judgment Day aside, I would like to see AI supporting us in our ambitions and AI being something that enhances, as you say, enhances all the experiences that we have. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant answer. Um, I just want to kind of add on to what you're mentioning is um, about our staff as well, but kind of this next generation coming in, it's all about digital. Um, it is, yeah. You know, they're, they're immersing with all these devices and stuff. Yeah. But in our kind of world we're, we're not in we're not operating in that kind of way so how do we how do you think we kind of blur them lines between having a really cool unique of a visit to visit experience which is kind yeah. of touchy-feely but also that familiarization of the digital that they know and grown mm-hmm. up with I mean god I I don't know. It's a short answer. I tell you what, though, I was at um, a really good event the other night, um, which was uh, hosted by Digital Radish, and there was Selby Anderson, and there was a couple of other digital marketing uh, companies there. And what I was invited by by a friend of a friend who who um, who works in marketing and has massive massive budgets. And I went along and I said to her, you know, there's almost no point me being here because my my marketing budget is tiny, and I'm going to talk to these people and they are going to be talking about stuff that's, you know, like 300 K's worth of, of, of investment before I've even left the house. And two things occurred to me. One is that there is a huge amount of digital um, uh, stuff that's going on out there that the AI is taking off and, and engagement is taking off. As you say, really young people in their early 20s who have grown up with all of this, they're saying, oh, there's this, we can push it this far and we can push it even further and then keep going some more. So having conversations with those people was blowing my mind because there is there's stuff going on that I, I didn't even conceive, like, you know, virtual restaurants or this conversation about you know, protect, you know, we, we take corporate hospitality under my team. We take a picture. Here's a table uh, with eight people. Here's a table with 10 people. Here's your printed brochure. We could maybe send it to you on a PDF format. My goodness, no, actually, you can do, you can, you know, fly a drone through. You could do AI technology. You could pick your people up, move them around. There's these whole um, uh, packages and programs now where it's not static in the way that we're used to. So they're just, they're, they're moving on a pace over here. And then I think, well, how do we run to catch up with that? And to a person that I spoke to, everybody said it doesn't matter that you don't have the resource because we would love to talk to you or support you because of who you are and I think that sometimes we forget we sit there going with a poor cousin with poor relation we can't keep up actually we forget that we have the kudos of being the people that we are in the buildings that we are in in the attractions that we are and sometimes it's it's just a little bit more about that b2b um, scenario isn't it it's about getting out there and, and networking and making those connections and I don't need to have that half a million pound, whatever investment. What I do need to do is say, let's come around and talk about how we can work collaboratively together and support each other. And yeah, maybe we could be a, a, a flagship a program for you. Um, so I think I think for young people, it's just about it's about us relaxing a bit more and understanding that it, the world is changing and it's going to change some more. But let's just try and go with it rather than pushing back against it embrace the new technologies she says <laughs> definitely be warned about terminator <laughs> yes <laughs> always be warned about always be. 
Um, but the one thing I will say, sorry, just about that technology though, what really worries me is I was walking through St. Paul's yesterday. It was so, so, so busy. And so many people were plugged into their multimedia guides, which in one hand is absolutely brilliant. They're using their own language. They're having a great experience. Um, our multimedia providers will be happy. On the other hand, are we just going to be plugged in all the time? You know, do we not just need to unplug and look up? Um, but again, that's probably my age and 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 I I don't like being plugged in. Yeah, and I think there's a time and a place. Like you said, that yeah. there's, there's some reasons why you want to, you know, whether, like you said, whether that's multi-language or whether that's, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily, you want to do things on your own time. So you don't necessarily want to join a tour group. It would be nice to have a bit more information, yeah. those kinds yeah. of things. But yeah, the kind of technology for the sake of technology, I think. Is yeah. I think, you know, the, the recent sort of, um, was it Apple that released the kind of version of virtual reality this week? Mm. And then you're sort of like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'm yet to sort of see people go, oh yeah, sign me up, you know, That's and I'm sure enough. there are people out there saying sign me up. But yeah, I think, and then, and then on the other hand of that, I had a friend this week who did quite a long flight and spent the whole flight in VR doing wow. other things. And you sort of go, oh, hang on, this guy's living in the future. <laughs> like, yeah, that blows my mind. Blows my yeah. tiny mind. And you sort of... You know, it's book. Yeah, yeah. Until you, but until you see it, you know, I think yeah. it's hard to imagine. Yeah. How could VR be useful? He's like, well, because I'm, I'm, I'm using this time on the plane to do something that's actually, you know, relaxing yeah. or I'm playing a game or I'm doing some work or, I, you know, whatever, whatever he's kind of doing in that environment. But just while he's on a plane. But yeah, totally blew my mind. <laughs> For me, it's stuff that enhances it. So if I could get, yeah, VR that was actually me being in Wuthering Heights and, you know, watching Heathcliff and Catherine over the moors or something, maybe that would be. No, it's fine. Sign up for that, yeah. Um. So... <laughs> Away, away from Terminator and Heathcliff. Who knew we were going to get so many kind of cultural references this episode? Obviously, the current job that you're doing, you've got this amazing building. You've got huge teams. You've got really interesting stuff kind of going off all day, every day. What, if you had to boil it down to, is the thing that you love most about your job? What sort of is the thing that gets you either excited to go in in the morning or you just think, yeah, that's, that's it. That's what got me here and what I love doing. I love the fact that I work in an extraordinary place and I have worked in many extraordinary places and I have worked with many extraordinary people and whenever you know when you introduce people, yourself to people and they say what do you do and I tell them oh my goodness St. Paul's, I love St Paul's I know St Paul's tell me about what you do what's that like people never it's not like saying I'm a um there isn't like a, a one-stop kind of job description that people understand what that is it's something that is completely um, it's new to them. And so you spend a lot of time telling them about it. And I think a lot of the time I, I forget where I work because I'm I'm not based in St. Paul's. I'm based in this, you know, this very lovely uh, Wren building, but it's across the road and I'm sitting in these meetings and exec meetings or in, you know, health and safety meetings or whatever. You, you get drawn into the minutiae detail and, and the, 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 the cogs of what needs to go on. Sometimes you just need to go out and have a walk through the site that you're working in a to say hi to the to the people who are doing the job um but also just to remind yourself the most extraordinary place you're working in and and to see some of those tourists just that audible gasp when they walk around the corner and see St Paul's or they realize just the vastness of it um and I think I'm just really lucky I've I've been responsible for some amazing 
things for Roman buildings, human remains, um, objects that are part of our collective story. I've been responsible for, for buildings, for keeping them up and running. And I've worked with some really wonderful people who are dedicated to their roles and responsibilities. And I know that I wouldn't be happy if I worked in another environment, whether it was just a normal day-to-day -day office, or if I worked in an environment that maybe wasn't a historic building, maybe was something slightly a different kind of attraction. What motivates me is being part of that history and being part of these extraordinary buildings. So yeah, I think I'm I the best thing is just the building, the stories, the history, kind of going back to what Bernard said, being on the place where it happens being able to touch bits of old St Paul's whilst I'm there and go, wow, this was in the Great Fire. <laughs> That's so cool. So cool. It's, it's so important to love what you do, um, yeah, your job, is. you know, yeah, because um, not to go deep, but, you know, we've only got one life. Go and enjoy it. You know? It's true. It's true. And I'm really lucky that I, you know, I was, I have days when it's, it is a slog. I'm not going to lie. I don't like skip in every single day going, this is amazing. There are days when it's a slog. There are days when there are tough decisions to be made or tough conversations to be had or whatever or you're just you know going through um going through the motions in a way I suppose but on the whole if you love and care for the place that you work in and I you're surrounded by people who on the whole also love and care and the fact that you get that reaction when you tell people what your job is it's really lovely and exciting and then I get to do some wonderful things like part of Alva part of the you know the VE network we get to go for drinks in wonderful places and and have experiences i've had a drink at the pub at the tower of london where the um you know where the beef eaters drink i've part of the london 2012 olympics at the museum of london i was holding the olympic flame um sterling castle the night before the scottish independence referendum where the pipers piped us out and we were all just like don't leave us this is amazing um you know the service for the after the death of, of the queen at st paul's these extraordinary moments that i've been part of that you don't get to be part of um in other roles so all of those things kind of keep you going in some way for the the less exciting days shall we say <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just you just kind of when you're talking, just bringing back memories of my experiences of um, working in attractions and museums, and mm. how how like I was able to put smiles on people's faces yeah. just by the actions or just what I said or just being there, um, just made such a difference on there. But yeah, it's so cool. But as as we know, you've worked in some amazing places, um, especially kind of in London. Um, I've got our last question to ask you. Um, we Not could to talk... pick a favourite, is it? Because I can't do that. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we, we can ask you that question. It is now. Clearly, it's the Paul's Cathedral. And it's all about your 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 top tips. So yeah. if you can give us three top tips of why um, our listeners should come and work in our industry, which is the tourist attraction industry. I think my first tip is to know what motivates you and then try and stick to, you know, what we were saying earlier is, is don't choose something just for the sake of it. Choose something because you think you'll be excited by it or you think you'll be motivated by it or get you out of bed in the morning because there's nothing worse than dragging yourself around thinking, I hate this. So choose something that motivates you. But at the same time, be open to different career paths and, and, and different ways of working and also different organisations as well. The job that you get right at the beginning is very, very unlikely to be the job you're doing right at the end. And just understand that 
you are going to go through fluctuations and you're, you, it's good to work in different places, different venues, different roles, because it, it gives you the experience that you need wherever you think you might want to get to in life. So be open to those things um, and be creative with your time and your resource and the people that surround you. Because one of the, the best things about working in the attractions industry is that, as we've already said, we know each other through things like the Visitor Experience Forum, through things like Alva, through things like, you know, the Association of Cultural Enterprises. We get to meet up on a regular basis and talk about what's going well, what isn't going as well, who's moving where, who isn't moving where. We share information and we have some really good networks. So if we can encourage younger people to be part of those networks in some way and, and understand the, the importance. I really hate networking. I hate going to like drinks where I don't know people. It's lovely when I know people, I can just go up and start chatting to them. But be open to having conversations, be open to having conversations with people you don't know who might work in venues or attractions or in areas that you're not currently open to. Because I think once you once you have those kind of creative conversations, it sets you on very different paths. And we are so lucky to have those those networks. You'd never get Tesco's phoning Sainsbury's and saying, what's your top seller or how was, yeah, you know, how was the Easter bank holiday for you? But I know I can phone Westminster Abbey and they'll tell me that. No questions are, and vice versa. Um, so yeah, use your resources. Yeah, I think there's there's so much strength in our industry between attractions. Like you said, it it's almost silly to see yourselves as competitors quite a lot yeah. of the time yeah. it's that yeah we you know we can be competitive and some of us can have a better day than others and we all want to be number one you know when the alpha listings come out <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, it's it's so it's so much more collaborative than I think a lot of other industries are and more commercially focused definitely yeah and I, it, we are a little bit competitive you know we can't we can't be wrong <laughs> but actually we <laughs> obviously um but but actually yeah as you say it's much better to to collaborate and talk to each other because therein lies the best the best of everything and, and certainly within all of us we all move around in the same circles we end up you know working at various the, the same types of the same types of places we all know each other and it's a really supportive environment so if you want to work in the attractions industry get to know the people and and take advantage of that almost kind of pastoral family mindset that we seem to have and, and support each other that's brilliant right so everybody's going to want to chat to you now Sandra everybody is everyone's definitely going to ring you up and ask you how the bank holiday's been <laughs> <laughs> now you've said it how was how was half down Sandra um, <laughs> so yeah so if people do want to get in touch with you if people wanted to find out more about you where would where would they be heading where would they look uh, you can have a look at LinkedIn. I'm on there, Sandra Lyons Timbrell. Um, I'm on Twitter under SLT Heritage, and then obviously um, at St Paul's Cathedral as well. So you can look <laughs> up at the um, on the website. I think my email might be there. Excellent. And and obviously we can find you most days in St Paul's Cathedral or in St Paul's Cathedral or the Chapter House next door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Seriously. I mean, even with everything like working from home, I work from home one day a week. But um, most most um, weeks, I'm in I'm in four days for various reasons. You know, I like going in, but also the majority of my team are going in, so I don't particularly want to be sitting. Um, yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult to do a job in an attraction 
I think from yeah. home, um when especially an operational job where you know the 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 physicality of the building is is such a big part of yeah role absolutely yeah and a lot of the conversations we're having are sometimes about the operations you just need to be there and point at the things that you're talking about rather than yeah. doing it kind of point, point at the sign that visitors will never read <laughs> It's strangely that's one of the emails that was going on and we were earlier before I came on and that we just decided we were going to go to the place and point at the sign because as I was telling people the signs go in the wrong place and people will notice and they, and they will go the wrong way and it will mess everything up despite what other people think. Amazing. <laughs> Leave that conversation there shall we. <laughs> Thank you so much honestly it's been an absolute pleasure um, well, to speak yeah. to you and we, we've yeah, I didn't think we were going to get so many cultural references as and I think you've uh, you've you definitely won with them. I should have chucked in a few more. I know we definitely have to do it. Well, when we come back in five years' time and find out if Terminator <laughs> has won, we'll um, we'll get some more in definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sandra. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure as always, and um, yeah, thank we will you. we'll let you know if Terminator comes knocking. Well, I think we'll all know then, won't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks both. Really good to chat to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Brown Sign Project. A massive thank you needs to go out to our season sponsors, which is Staff Savvy and Retail Integration. This is a wrap for season four. So a massive thank you goes out to all of you for listening and sharing our podcast to the wider world. We'll be back with a new series in 2024. So if you've got an interesting career story you'd like to share, please get in touch. The Browseline Project was edited by Paul Tyler. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Brown Sign Pod, And you can find us on LinkedIn.